Did you catch all those words? Tears are falling. Hearts are breaking. How we need to hear from God. You've been promised. We've been waiting. Welcome, holy child. Hope that you don't mind our manger. How I wish we would have known. But long-awaited holy stranger, make yourself at home. Please make yourself at home. Bring your peace into our violence. Bid our hungry souls be filled. Word now breaking heaven's silence. Welcome to our world. Fragile finger sent to heal us. Tender brow prepared for thorn. Tiny heart whose blood will save us. Unto us is born. So wrap our injured flesh around you. Breathe our air and walk our sod. Rob our sin and make us holy. Perfect son of God. Welcome to our world. I can't think of a better song to help me paint this picture of us coming out of a series on blemished from Malachi and and transitioning into our new series, which, by the way, is called Unblemished. See what I did there? (laughs) You see, because after all, Jesus is the perfect gift. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's the perfect king. He is unblemished, and he came as he promised. He came to rescue us. He came to save us. He came. You hear that? That was the sound of silence. One, almost one full minute of silence. I can't go a full minute. <laughs> Sorry. I tried. I think we were just over 30 seconds. But I, I cracked. The sound of silence. You know, when our, when our radio does that in the car... For whatever reason, it fades out. We we can't wait for them to fix it. We jump to the next station, or or we put in a CD. When 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 it happens with the TV, anybody got satellite? It gets a little fuzzy. You you think changing the channel is going to make a difference, but it's satellite and it doesn't. But we still try. Some of you were thinking, what did he forget? What he was going to say next? He just he just blanked out for a minute. If you're at the movies, they say silence is golden. And when you're talking with someone, maybe you're trying to have, you know, you're trying to have that conversation that you know is not going to be easy. And, and you're trying to talk with someone and, and you're just having a hard time finding the words and you're just unsure. And, and silence in that situation can sometimes be worrisome. Or one of my favorite pictures of silence is, is Shrek and Donkey when they first meet in the, in the first Shrek. 
and Donkey wants to be friends, and Shrek wants to be left alone. And, and Donkey's following him all around, and, and he says, <laughs> I have to read this because I'll mess it up, but it's great. He says, uh, most of the time, oh, hang on, there it is. Donkey and Shrek, <clears throat> he says, you're talking with someone, and you're trying to talk to them, and Donkey's going on and on about And when, when you meet somebody, and Shrek says, I like my privacy, and Donkey says, I do too. That's another thing we have in common. Like, I hate it when you, you got somebody in your face, and you're trying to give them a hint, and they just won't leave, and there's that big, awkward silence. And they just stare at each other for a minute. And then Donkey moves right on to the next thing, like, can I stay with you? What? Can I stay with you, please? <laughs> no. It's great. Silence is golden. Silence is a lot of things. How about this, men? We know we're in trouble when she's giving us the silent treatment. <laughs> Don't act like it doesn't happen to you. Okay. <laughs> Perhaps silence is a place where you find comfort and peace. After all, Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. But more often than not, for most of us, silence is uncomfortable. Sure, we, we like peace and quiet from time to time. But after, after a while, silence can be distracting. It can almost be difficult and deafening. It, it makes us question, is everything okay? You know, that, that old saying, it's quiet, too quiet. <sighs> makes us question things. We begin to wonder, how can we break the silence? And you have to wonder, how do the Israelites feel? The past several weeks uh, in November, we looked at the book of Malachi in which God spoke very harshly with his people. And, and then he, he, he spoke to them through Malachi the prophet. And then there was that dreaded word, silence. God was silent for 400 years. So I get to thinking, what, what were they thinking? What did, what did they think was happening? Here you come from a, from a place where God spoke to you through his, through his prophets, and now all of a sudden God's not saying a word. Silent for 400 years. Were they worried? Did, did they wonder why God was silent for so long? Did they, being the Israelites, did, did they long for God's silence to be broken? Did they continue to hope in spite of God's silence? You know, the hopeless romantic in me would like to think that the Israelites as a nation spent those 400 years holding on to the words of promise and the words of the prophets about the coming Lord and the promised Messiah. That same part of me wants to think that after the rebuke and the redirection from Malachi, that, that after all that, that the Israelites changed, that they longed for true worship, that they longed for bold actions for the Lord. And then the realist in me realizes that those things most likely didn't happen. Because, well, you see, the Israelites, they're a lot like you and me. And I guarantee you, with the silence of God, they got distracted by their world. Matter of fact, I know they did, because if we look in history, I want to share some things with you, some did-you-knows about that 400-year period in time. Did you know that during that 400 years of silence, the Maccabean Wars were fought over First and Second Maccabees? That's, that's where that all comes from. Did you know that during the 400 years there were two rabbis, Hillel and Shammai, I don't know if I said the last one right, but they were teaching as, as rabbinical people, as rabbis, they were teaching that the temple was not really necessary for worship, as, as a central place for worship. 
It was also decided that the Babylonian Talmud was more important than the Jerusalem Talmud. You're probably going, what's a Talmud? It was the written down oral traditions. It's, it's like a central text of mainstream Judaism. The Talmud takes the form of a record of rabbinic discussions that pertain to Jewish laws and ethics and how we should do things according to what God has said. And it's about philosophy. It's about customs. It's about history. And, and in this 400-year time, 400 time period, the Babylonian Talmud became prominent over the Jerusalem Talmud. That may seem like a little thing, but it's not. Also, history shows us that though some came back to rebuild the temple, it was a remnant that came back to rebuild the temple. It wasn't the whole nation of Israel. It was just a few in the grand scheme of things. Here's something else I found interesting. That during, or excuse me, as, as you come into the time of Christ, there were more, Jew, excuse me, more Jews living in Alexandria, Egypt, during the time of Christ than in all of Palestine. Now, they moved on. Rather than wait for God, they moved on without him. Pray with me. Father God, I pray that today we'll take note of history. I pray that we'll take note of your word. That we won't ever move on without you. I pray that, that as we look at at your word today that, that we can apply it to our lives. As we look at the example of, of your son, we can strive to be like him. I pray that you change us, Lord, from the inside out. Amen. I want to start today reading from Isaiah chapter 9. And I'm going to read the whole chapter just to kind of block things into context for you. And I'm going to start with verse 1. This is how it goes. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing their plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now you may be thinking, what was the point of the little history lesson? And what does Isaiah have to do with all that? And here it is. God spoke through Malachi. He rebuked and he offered challenges and directions to the Israelites. And then he said nothing to his people for 400 years. Silence. Waiting. Watching. 
seeing their hearts, seeing their life choices. I always say, if you give someone 30 days, you'll know who they really are. Imagine what you can learn about someone in 400 years. In 400 years, we see that the absence of God did not make the heart of the Israelites grow fonder for him, so to speak. Instead, they were a part of wars that had no meaning. They fought the Maccabean Wars. They had no meaning. I like how Isaiah says, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. The Israelites allowed the very foundations of their existence to be tested and shaken and withered to almost nothing because they moved on. They moved away from what was important. And God silently watched. He silently waited until the time was right. His time. And then, and and I'm not sure if he couldn't stand the rebellion of his children any longer or if his heart just ached from watching them continue on their path of self-destruction. But nonetheless, at his appointed time, he came. He came as he promised and he came in his time and in his way. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. She, um, excuse me, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home to be his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Luke chapter 2 verse 6 says this. The time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloths. She placed him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I love this description of Jesus from the reading that's called or titled One Solitary Life. Maybe you've heard it. It goes like this. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpentry shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never had a family or a home. He never set foot inside a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from, his, from the place he was born. He never wrote a book <clears throat> or held an office. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. Nineteen centuries have come and gone. And today he is the central figure for much of the human race. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned, never, or excuse me, put together, have never affected as many lives 
on man upon the earth as powerfully as this one solitary life. We are not alone. The Israelites, they were not alone. They were God's chosen ones. But he came as he promised to walk among us. Gentiles, Jews, Greeks, Samaritans, all of us. He came. He's here. God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. The prophet Isaiah foretold Jesus' birth and said he would be called Emmanuel. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. All these great things. He came as he promised. No longer would we walk through life alone with God just watching from the distance. Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection eliminated the barrier of sin. It brought us to God and God to us. You see, nothing could be worse than the fear that no one, or excuse me, that one had given up too soon and left an unexpended effort from which to save the world. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. I'm reminded of the time that the sparrow asked the wild dove, tell me the weight of a snowflake. The wild dove replied, nothing more than nothing. And the sparrow answered, in that case, I must tell you a marvelous story. I sat on a branch of fir close to its trunk. And when it began to snow, not heavily, not in a raging blizzard, no, just like in a dream, without a sound, without any violence. Since I did not have anything better to do, I counted the snowflakes settling on the twigs and the needles of my branch. Their number was exactly 3,741,952. And when the 3,741,953rd snowflake dropped onto the branch, nothing more than nothing, as you say, the branch broke off. Having said this, the sparrow flew away. Now the dove, since Noah's time and authority on the matter, thought about the story for a while and finally said to herself, Perhaps only one person's voice is lacking for peace to come into this world. He came as he promised. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting father. Prince of peace. A lot like that train. Flying by. Our addictions and our struggles and our life. We fly right by God sometimes. We never take pause to really grapple with the fact that he came. I want you to take a minute. Just close your eyes for a second. Everybody just close your eyes. I promise I won't throw anything at you. Just everybody close your eyes. Think back of what you know and compare yourself with the Israelites. They were his chosen people. We are his called out ones. 
He came. Think of your life. Look at your life. What you've done in your past. He came. Where you've been. He came. Who you've hurt. He came. Who you've put at second best in comparison to yourself. And yet he came. He came. And I realize that Christmas is a season of celebration and joy and all these things. And I just want us to really take pause as we begin this season. Take time to stop and take that simple statement in. He came. And the world would forever be changed. In our darkest hours and our saddest moments. When fear, violence, and loneliness seem to rule the planet that we live on. Let us take comfort knowing that we are not alone. Emmanuel, God with us. He came as he promised. He is the final sacrifice. The unblemished, perfect Lamb of God. I wanted to give you a visual of this. And and that's why, I don't know if you noticed, but that's why this manger right up front here has, has been built out of the cross. We wanted it to be subtle. So I hope some of you are going, oh, I just thought Fat Rock couldn't measure. <laughs> that's the visual. He wasn't intended to stay in this manger. Yes, we're celebrating his birth. But he is the final sacrifice. He's the unblemished, perfect lamb of God. We couldn't do this on our own. Because on our own, our best is is blemished. On our own, our best is lame and fractured and crippled. But because he came as promised. Fragile finger sent to heal us. Tender brow prepared for thorn. Tiny heart whose blood will save us unto us is born. Wrap around our wrap our injured flesh around you. Breathe our air and walk our sod. Rob our sin and make us holy. Perfect son of God. The words of that song put Jesus's birth in a whole new frame of mind for me. And it puts my salvation in a whole new frame of mind. And it puts what I'm created for in a whole new frame of mind. He was born in the manger. He lived a perfect life. And he became the perfect sacrifice. If you believe that, I want to challenge you today. If you believe what you've heard, I want to challenge you to live it, live like you believe it this December. As we get ready to celebrate his birth, let's live like we're thankful for his death. Let's think about others first. Let's try not to be so blemished during this time. You see, maybe for you, you need to give yourself up to Jesus Christ for the first time. Submit to the waters of baptism and to his lordship. Maybe that's going to be your gift this year. Maybe for you, today you need to repent and rededicate and start fresh. Leave your worldly distractions here at the cross. Maybe you're here to seek out how to connect with us, to impact this community, to honor God. Whatever it is, 
I just want you to understand that he came for you as he promised. As we stand and sing our decision song today, won't you come for him?